Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersupportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 171 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Uh, today we're going to be finding out all about action cameras, by which I mean GoPros and their equivalents, uh, which ones to buy, how to use them, how to edit, and perhaps most importantly, how to go viral. Uh, we're also going to be finding out whether the carve helped me ski better. Uh, plus, we'll be finding out about the possibly the world's most sustainable ski trip. Now, my name's Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. Uh, firstly, I'd like to introduce uh, Anna Hughes, who is the founder of Flight Free UK. Hi, Anna. How are you? Hi, good morning. I'm fine. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. Whereabouts are you joining us from today? So I'm joining you from my delightful narrowboat in Hertfordshire. It's very cold at the moment, as I'm sure everyone can appreciate. We're in the week of snow right now. Um, but yes, it's very peaceful and delightful. Uh, also with us today, joining us down the line from Berlin, is uh, Chris Moran, a former pro snowboarder. You can actually search out the interview we did with him a while ago. And these days represents Intersport Ski Hire in the UK. Hi, Chris. How are you going? Hi, Ian. Yeah, good. Was there any snow in Berlin this morning? Yeah, it is. It's absolutely freezing and uh white everywhere uh but it's been snowing in the in the alps as well finally we've had the third snow of the winter yeah well we're going to come on to that excellent that's great and finally our third guest uh, today a regular on the show last on the show in episode 168 when he was telling us about the 23-24 ski test uh, from skikerinfo.com is al morgan hi al how are you i am jolly good thank you yeah it was snowy here in london yesterday but it's wet today so Okay. Well, as you know, Al, the first question I like to ask my guests when they're on is when you last skied or snowboarded. Now, uh, last time you were on, it was in La Clusa. Have you been anywhere since then? No, not since then. But next week, I'm up in Scotland, which I'm really looking forward to because the snow has come to Scotland. It's exciting. Uh, Chris, what about yourself? I know that you live out in the Alps half of the time. When were you last on snow? Uh, yeah, before before Berlin. So, uh, about a week ago. Um, and uh, it, it's been okay. I mean, to be honest, it's it's it, it's really needed snow really badly for quite a while. There's been a kind of uh, a, a drought of precipitation, so no real new snow, but very cold. Right, we're going to come back to that snow. But uh, Anna, I know you were out in Switzerland earlier this season. Have you been anywhere since then? No. So I was, as you say, in Switzerland in the Valais uh, at the end of January. And actually, that was my first ever ski trip. So I'm a newbie to all of this. Um, I'm actually a cyclist. So I've spent loads of time in the Alps, in the Cairngorms, in Glencoe, Al, but in the summer <laughs> when I can cycle over those passes and see the ski lifts just hanging over these beautiful green slopes and the sun. <laughs> Excellent. OK, well, we're going to be talking in detail about your trip to the Valais a little bit later on. But uh, Chris mentioned that slopes, uh, there hasn't been much precipitation for a while. And the good news is it has uh, started to snow. 
Uh, regular listeners will know that Ski Podcast is sponsored by Le Travelate. It's the largest skier in the world. There's 600 kilometers a piece there. And uh, it was great to see yesterday that they had snow there. And just looking at the forecast, it looks like there's going to be, I don't know, around 50 centimeters, perhaps uh, at least over the next week or so coming in, which is really good news. Now, we have actually got a few snow reports from different contributors to drop in, which I'll do now. We've got Alex Armon from Ladies Out, Tip Top uh, Ski Coaching, Robin Shah from Ver- uh, we also have Steve Angus from Val d'Azere and Keith Webb from Caprun. So let's have a listen to those. This is Alex Armon from Tip Top Ski Coaching with an update here in Les Deux Alpes on the snow conditions. So we've had about 30 centimetres of snow over the last 48 hours and we are expecting another 30 centimetres of snow over the next 48 hours. Today has seen blue skies and sunshine uh, with winds increasing at altitude. The snow on the piste is absolutely lovely, soft corduroy this morning. The snow off the piste has been windblown overnight uh, and the avalanche risk remains high. Hi Ian and greetings from Verbier. It is all change in the Western Alps. After several weeks of dry, cold, sunny weather with firm pistes, chalky off piste and some big, big moguls on the itineraries, the snow has finally returned. It started on Wednesday with about 20 centimetres of snow above 2,000 metres, so it was quite warm and windy. But after a pause yesterday, um, it started again this morning uh, from about 1,200 metres uh, and is forecast to snow continually through to Sunday morning. It should put around 50 centimetres of fresh snow above 1,500 metres, which would be great. So it looks like tree skiing will be in order today and Saturday, uh, and then hopefully a bluebird powder day on Sunday. Another big dump's expected on Tuesday with the snow level coming right down into the valleys before the sun comes out on Wednesday and for the rest of the week. Um, in total, we should get about a, a metre of new snow, uh, even more upper altitude, um, which will set things up beautifully for the second half of March and April. So if you're coming out in the next few days, you should be in for a treat. Uh, my recommendation would be to head high and north-facing and make sure to pack those powder skis. Well, after the 30 centimetres of snow we had last week here in uh, Val d'Isère, I'm standing here at the bottom of the uh, Belvard, uh, looking up the Olympic lift, and there's a big crowd of people eager to get up there to experience the fantastic snow that's fallen overnight. We've had uh, a really good accumulation of snow down here in town. Look down at my ski boots. I've got about uh, 15 centimetres lapping over the top of the boots and the flakes are coming down thick and fast all around me. So I think we're in for a really, really special day. The great news at the moment is the winds is nowhere to be seen. Um, the outlook um, for the next sort of 48 to 72 hours is snow and a lot more snow. They are forecasting, according to some models, over two, maybe two and a half metres of snow um, up at altitude, up towards the Val d'Isère Glacier. In other parts of the resort, maybe a metre and a half to two metres. But generally speaking, this is the storm of the season so far and conditions are looking absolutely fantastic. The piece was starting to get a bit scraped, to be honest with you, but now they are starting to uh, get nice and soft again. Um, the visibility, obviously, uh, can be a little bit tricky, but uh, get out there, get in the trees, and you're going to experience some fantastic conditions. The avalanche risk has been down at one, but it will rise uh, pretty steeply up to three today and possibly up to four um, tomorrow. Uh, the winds will start to come, which will obviously came, come into play in terms of whether it's uh, scooping things around. But conditions are really, really setting up as we move into the last two months uh, of the ski season or so now. So really lovely conditions, 
big fat flakes all around me and uh, it is going to be a fantastic day in Val d'Isere. Hi Ian, Keith Webb here coming from Caprone's LMZ ski area with an update on the conditions that you'll find here. Um, the LMZ area is pretty soft uh, down into the valley and uh, we are short of a bit of snow. We could use a lot more. Uh, there is some coming this weekend, but uh, probably not sufficient to make a great deal of difference. The runs are, however, complete down into the valley, um, although soft and spring-like. So in the afternoon, sometimes it's better just to go and have a, a coffee or a beer. Um, up on the glacier, the conditions are good, although the wind is uh, blowing things off uh, as fast as they arrive. So it is pretty firm up there, but the, the snow is good. Um, weather's been clear but windy which will continue. A little bit of snow coming over the weekend, so that might uh, dust things up a little bit. That's a bit of an update from me here. I hope you guys have had a good season, and come on out. See you soon. So great snow conditions, hopefully coming in, and that's the sort of time when maybe you want to have an action camera. Now, this was an idea suggested by one of our listeners, Joe Charles, who wanted to know a bit more about action cameras. And I thought, well, this is the, the perfect way to start it off. So just to clarify what I mean by an action camera, I've got my uh, GoPro here, which I'm just holding up uh, to the camera, for not for the benefit of listeners, but for the other panellists. I think this one is a GoPro Hero 7. I've certainly had it for a, a few years. And, uh, you know, I use it for filming, uh, you know, short videos for Skipedia uh, generally, you know, when I've been travelling out by train, uh, putting together uh, uh, examples of how you can travel by train uh, from the UK to the Alps, etc. Um, I thought I'd start off by uh, asking uh, Al and Chris, you know, what you actually use, because Al, you're reviewing equipment the whole time. And if you have a look at on your YouTube channel at Ski Kit Info, there's a lot of reviews on skis on there. So you must be using cameras. I don't know if there's more than one of you, if you have someone else helping you. Yeah. But what, what cameras do you have? It is generally just myself. So originally, like you, I had a Hero 7 Black, and, and that's a brilliant camera. The, the visual on it is so strong and clean it's really really good but the problem that you've got is when you're shooting yourself so then i got an insta 360 one uh, x2 then i'll do a one x3 as well but the one x2 allows you basically have drone like shots when you're skiing so it's really easy to film yourself so they're generally what i use i use the one x2 most of the time and then i use it for other things for water sports as well and okay hold on when you say drone like shots what do you mean by that because you must be holding it how can it look like a drone i've got really really long arms <laughs> the, the um so what with modern 360 cameras so a camera that takes shots all around it, it, it the the amazing thing with these cameras and i'm probably getting ahead of ourselves a bit on the conversation but the amazing thing with these cameras the camera the technology in that is brilliant it's actually the software around that that you use in editing so t it's got a camera on both sides um, a lens on both sides of the camera it then stitches those images together in the software and the pole that you're holding the camera with disappears. And then you can zoom in and out the shot so you can make it look like you're closer or further away. And, and it's brilliant for what I want to do with videos. Yeah, okay. I mean, I did actually have a 360 uh, camera, which is a Ricoh Theta S, uh, a few years ago. And I used it quite a bit. And you can get some really, really interesting uh, photos out of it i found it much harder to use from a video point of view and it's probably because maybe my laptop didn't have the processing power i didn't have the editing software to be able to deal with it 
that's absolutely key. It's not so much the, the, the laptop bit, but the software has improved on these so much in recent years. So yeah, if people are, are not sure on what to get, then certainly investigate 360 cameras. They are really, really useful. Okay. And, and Chris, I mean, you've, we'll come on to this in due course, but I mean, you've starred in snowboard uh, movies. You have shot a lot of videos for uh, different destinations like uh, uh, France Montaigne and Tyrol and a lot of uh, footage uh, and uh, videos for Intersport. So what cameras do you normally work with just now? Uh, well, personally, I mean, I've been through the whole uh, GoPro system um, and we were kind of making a, a, a rudimentary version of, of GoPros back in the day anyway we were strapping things to helmets and stuff like that to be honest nowadays I've got I've got an, an iPhone 13 Pro and I use that more often than not that's a really interesting uh, point you make there because one of my next questions were you know with the uh, type of cameras you have in phones now are they just as good as action cameras and uh, you know you're saying that you know typically that they are that's good enough well, if, if you, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult question because obviously for most people, they, they're probably going to have a smartphone and it's probably going to be a pretty decent camera, certainly if it's in the last two two or three years. If you're going to do like a pro shoot, as in like, you know, you're actually getting paid for it, then yeah, you might want to be bringing in professional equipment. And of course, there's, there's loads of them. I guess the GoPro would be at the beginning of what you consider to be professional equipment. Uh, then you're starting to do, you know, what would used to be, uh, SLR cameras or DSLRs, but there's uh, you know mirrorless stuff. You can go kind of crazy into that, and then of course drones and all sorts of products that you can get. But they start to get relatively expensive. So I think for most people, a phone is absolutely amazing. I know the iPhone system pretty well, and with the iPhones, you've got the uh, cinematic function, which is incredible. The main thing is that now with my 13, I can I can zoom out and i can get a wide angle shot that didn't used to be available so not quite fisheye but kind of get in there um and it's just a convenience you know it's just in your pocket and would you use that with what kind of equipment would you use it with like a, a some kind of selfie stick type thing or do you put it on a tripod or how would you use that it, it really depends because actually you know a few years ago everybody the main thing was to try and shoot um in uh, in landscape because landscape was the format you know you've got the that, that's how you view Facebook, so you view Vimeo or YouTube or whatever. Whereas now, really, it's going back to shooting in portrait, which was the big no-no five, ten years ago. Do not shoot in portrait. Whereas now, all of the platforms are TikTok or uh, you know things like that, and and you you view it in portrait because your phone is you, know, you look at it in, in in that mode, and that's most people are now consuming media on a phone. So it's kind of come a f- full circle. So I think the phone really is the the king of the action cams that's really interesting because you know recently i have become very aware that portrait is the the format that you can get a lot of views from and while i don't particularly use uh tiktok uh, so much i have repurposed a bunch of my older videos into shorter portrait style versions to uh, then repost as shorts uh, you know on youtube or reels on facebook uh, etc because I can see that they can reach a bigger audience like that. Uh, Al, you wanted to chip in with something there. Yeah, well, one was a question for uh, Chris, really. So when you're shooting with your phone, because I use a phone when I'm shooting other people or mountain scenes or uh, images that aren't focused on me, so they're away from me, 
the phone works really well. Are you shooting yourself or are you shooting away from you when you're taking those images or photos? I'm not really a big self, selfie person, so uh, I, I never, ever use... I mean, I've used a... wouldn't call it selfie stick. I've used a st- stabilisation, and if, I, if I'm if i snowboarding, then I might use a, a very short uh, stick, but that's really to get closer to somebody else with a... Yeah. But that would so be you'll use it in replace of what we would think of as the old camcorder when you're filming somebody else as much as any. Yeah, which is different to what I use action cameras for and after video, me on kit, and I don't have other people with me. They're super useful. Um, but the, the other thing about the, the portrait, and that's one of the beauties with a lot of the modern action cameras, you take your shot and then the software will allow you to reframe it both ways. The software is, is the thing that's most impressive about modern cameras, I would say. And the same thing with phones. You know, you've got re- phones are brilliant. And I think, you know, there's, there's lots of different reasons why someone would want to uh, actually gather footage. You know, a lot of the time we're thinking about brands or promotion, but a lot of the time also, you know, particularly when my kids were younger, you know, I was getting footage of them uh, skiing so I could, you know, edit something from our holiday, which I could then show their grandparents, you know, of, uh, of you know, how they're progressing and what a great time they're having. And so, you know, I would I would give them, you know, the chest strap that you can get for the GoPro. So I'd put that on them or I'd put instead of like, a, a, you know, the, um, the the fixing that you have for a helmet, there's actually an elastic strap that you can yeah. put on the helmet or a hat as well. I'd stick that on their heads and then get them to, to ski. So they're getting the POV footage of them skiing and then cut it in with shots of them skiing uh, as well. And, you know, that isn't something where, you know, I'm it's something I'm creating because I want to get thousands of views here or there. It's something that I want to show the rest of the family uh, and create for posterity for our family. So there are lots of different ways that you can use it. From that point of view, um, you've probably got maybe a bit more flexibility with something like a GoPro rather than uh, with a phone. That kind of lends itself on to advice for how you go about filming. I would guess that, you know, my experience, and I am very much, you know, I'm not a professional by, uh, by any means, but... I would suggest that, you know, whatever you're trying to achieve uh, with your video, spending some time and planning it and thinking about it in advance and thinking about those shots is well worth uh, doing. And I presume, Al, for example, you have that planned out before you go ahead with anything. It it depends what you're going to shoot. So, yeah, if you're going to do something for, let's say you're going to edit video and you're going to put it on YouTube or you're doing it to promote a product or whatever it may be then yeah you generally plan that out in some way some people storyboard it go really in depth some people just have a loose plan or something in the head of the kind of shots that they want but actually get some amazing footage from the shots for posterity whatever it may be it's amazing what you can deliver from that and you know the fact that cameras are in such high resolution now it allows you to zoom into the image and then you can either take stills from that and get image get photos or you can just be really creative with it. So it depends what you want to achieve. Yeah, for professional use, you will generally plan it and potentially storyboard that beforehand. So what about you, Chris? If you're doing, uh, you know, one of the videos, for example, that you've produced uh, for for Intersport Ski Hire, would you have planned all of that out in advance? Uh, you know, know exactly what you were going to shoot beforehand? Yeah, if, if it's if it's a professional shoot, then you have to have enormous process to, to get the brief right, to, to, you know, to, to get the photographers and the filmers to get the, the shots that we, that we want. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to storyboard everything. You have to have a, an idea of what's in your mind and then how to convert it to an actual film. But from a personal perspective, if I was just going out shooting 
a day skiing with my son Harry, then just shoot whatever comes to to mind. Which I, I have GoPros, I use GoPros, and I use a GoPro more for my mountain biking because I physically cannot hold the camera while yeah. I'm mountain biking. <laughs> so then the chest mount is in format that I use. And what what I did is I just looked on well on YouTube and I said, what's the best way to capture mountain bike footage? And it is a chest mount. Put it upside down, and you. I set the the settings for the GoPro at the recommended from watching you know mountain bike content producers, and I changed everything and it, and the results are unbelievable. When you do that, you get the not only the POV but you get you can see the handlebars. So you get in the foreground there's something that the the viewer can kind of stabilize their eyes to, whilst you've got trees you know whizzing past, and that makes a much more interesting shot. So my advice would be depending on what you're going to shoot. I mean, the GoPro comes with like pre or the new ones come with kind of pre-installed, like this is best for ski, this is best for water, this is best for uh, whatever. But just go online and, and have a look and see what the content producers in that field are, are working with. Yeah, um, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things you flag up there is the importance of probably like checking what you're actually filming. Now, if you're going on a mountain bike, you can actually see how that how the screen is laid out. You've got the handlebars in the bottom. You've got the woods on either side. I think, uh, you know, I've learned from my own experience that when I put a, a GoPro, for example, on a, a helmet, on a helmet mount, you film an absolutely fantastic run. And then you realize that all you've got is like either a shot of the sky or a shot of a of your helmet itself and not you can't actually see the skis or it you know it gives you some kind of motion sickness when you look at it so actually planning that stuff out uh in advance uh or, or checking those visuals is really important get used to the camera you're going to use do not expect to pick any of these cameras up and your phone the same thing don't expect to oh great i've got a new phone i'm gonna go ski. i'm gonna get the best shots ever it will take time to work out the settings that are going to work best for what you're trying to achieve and get used to holding it and actually skiing holding something a lot of people will find that really difficult because they're used to having poles and being balanced and that takes time to get used to so allow yourself time to get used to using whatever camera whether it's an old style camcorder whether it's a phone whether it's an action camera how are you going to use that get used to the mounts you know they rattle loose as well so all of that just give yourself time to get used to them before you shoot the stuff that's really important for you that makes a lot of sense I'm sure many listeners will have uh, seen uh, several viral videos that came out a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago now, called Overheard in French Mountains. And that is absolutely hilarious because it pulls every cliche out of the books. But that was one of yours, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We filmed that. That was probably five. Yeah, pre-COVID, definitely. But five years ago, five, six You've got ago. to shuss it, Marjorie, is the, <laughs> the line that probably a lot of people will remember. I've heard people literally shout that on the slopes, uh, unprompted. That was one of my finest, uh, finest moments. Fun of, you know, proudest Pete, moments. Sorry. Pizza, pizza, chips. Well, the funny thing about that was, so you know, going back to do you plan it? I mean, you know, we had to pitch the idea to the to the French tourist board. That was a very stressful meeting because you know I'm, I'm there talking to three or four French people and. Uh, talking about these, you know, st- stereotypes and cliches that you find in French resorts. I-, I thought they were funny sketches, and every time we'd say something, they'd just be completely stony-faced. And it, and it wasn't until we mentioned, um, you know, I said, OK, so now you've got this guy going to walk into a bar, and he says, have you got Wi-Fi? And the bar person says, uh, you mean Wi-Fi? And then he's like, no, no, Wi-Fi. And they said, no, Wi-Fi, and it gets confusing. And somebody, uh, and we had this one sketch where it ended, and they said, uh, no, we don't have a website, but we've got Minitel. And as soon as I mentioned Minitel, 
the the the, the people from the French Tourist Board, board were like, oh wow, yeah, Minitel, we love Minitel, and they started <laughs> talking about Minitel for about half an hour, and I thought, okay, now, now they get it, now they get it, yeah, and they loved it, and it, you know, it, it was yeah, I think about ten million views in the end, which was. Yeah, I mean, they were, they, they were so good and they still get a refer. I, you know, I've done some work with uh, France Montan and, you know, people still uh, uh, like those. I'll put a link to them in the in the show notes as well. Uh, just kind of, you know, upscaling it a little bit then. We're talking about professional, uh, you know, videos there. You know, I mentioned you starred in a few snowboard movies. Old schoolers might remember snowboard movies in the 90s called Odd Man Out or Day Tripper. Could you possibly summarise, Chris, how filming has changed since then? Might as well have been black and white. I mean, it was <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, they were literally film cameras, you know. They were, li- and not even battery. They were, they were clockwork, wind-up film cameras. They would film maybe two minutes because that was what the re- they were the reels that we had that would expose. They were, I mean, they were they were film. They were literally, you know, celluloid film that was exposed that you had to then take away and, and get processed in a lab. As old school, it's the same process that they would have done in the 1920s, and v- pretty much the same cameras with wooden, very, very heavy things. So we were, when you worked with filmers like that, it was very much a case of if you, if you wanted to get in their good books, you carried their equipment. So we were all sharing like pack mules, this extremely heavy equipment. Going from there to, through to the kind of 90s um, camcorders, you know, the real unwatchable quality now because they're terrible. But there's a there's a vibe to them that you that still works, you know. Uh, yeah, we, we went through the whole whole thing, and obviously, action cams makes everything easier for sure. And when you when you look at some of that older footage, uh, it's often in four three proportions. It just seems really really strange. It dates uh, stuff uh, immediately. And um, what about um, editing then? Um, you know, there've been a few mentions uh, about that. Al, what do you use to edit your uh, footage? Well, the, the software that comes with the camera, so GoPro changed the name for theirs to Quick, and then Insta360 has their own for the cameras that are generally used. So you can do that on your phone or your laptop. But actually, when you're making a more professional video, I suppose, then you use professional video editing software that you can plug in footage from those. So there are loads that you can choose from. So originally, I started with Lightworks that was free, and then loads of different excellent editing you software you can use if you want the better stuff you generally have to pay for it and if you want to export in say 4k then generally either you get a subscription service or you get a product that you you know you, you buy the software but i i know the um uh, adobe system so premiere is the system that i would use if i want to do something that looks really good and i want to be able to change everything but if it's harry my son and myself then we'll just mess around here with quick or um, uh, video leap, or any. Of, I mean, there's a, there's a. Harry got you know like a little stop motion thing, which was which was free little app. Uh, obviously, it's got in-app purchases, or you can upgrade. Um, and he did a little stop motion thing like that. And there's just a million, a million apps that you can get. So, and the one if you could do, I, I would honestly suggest start with a phone because it, all of the tools are there. And then if you want to add functionality, maybe you want to change the font on your graphics and things like that. That's when you need to start upgrading things. But just start with the free stuff. So we filmed it. We've edited it. And now you're going to publish it. And we all know there are many different channels that you can uh, publish on. But um, I guess a lot of people would be interested to know the answer to the question. And I don't know if there is an answer. How do you go viral? Uh, I think on TikTok, you've had maybe four videos that had over a million views this year already on the Intersport channel. Yeah, yeah, we've got one that's on six million views already this year. Yeah, about four, four or five have gone viral on on all of the 
uh, channels. Instagram, we've had two. What's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. No, I mean, the, the thing is, all of it, there's no secret. It's trends. So just follow the trends. You know, whether it's um, fixed by the duet is a is a is a thing is a, is a is a current trend or was a trend about a year ago. If if you go on and use those platforms, you'll quickly find what the trends are, and then you can easily just join those trends if you if you use those platforms you will you will see what the uh, i mean my son watches he loves the comedy ones okay so um we've not as work but we've just tried to do some of those just to kind of make make, uh, make ourselves laugh and sometimes they go depends if they're funny or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah of course well you know i've a lot of the time i'm really just uh, you know publishing i guess you know for my own interest and because you know i want to share the type of things that i've done and you know sometimes the videos i do on skipedia they might get like 100 views but it is more satisfying when more people watch them i think there's something on there it's got 122,000 uh, views so no millions that's on uh, youtube but the most satisfaction i've got was when i um produced a video telling explaining how you can get from Gare de Nord to Gare de Lyon in Paris, which is a very straightforward journey, two steps. And I see that that's, that's had about like 6,000 views. But that is genuinely helping people who are, who are going into Google and going to YouTube to try and answer that question. And that gives me more satisfaction than anything else. And, you know, Al, from your point of view, I'm thinking that you're not interested in the highest volume. You know, you're reviewing skis specifically so the type of people who are looking at you know at yours which also i've seen they're kind of like five to ten thousand views but they're all people specifically who want to know what the new ski is like yeah so the the goal isn't to go viral the goal in in everything i do with skiing is to help consumers have a better time on the hill and it's very different to if you're talking about fashion and you want to get two million views and you get support by brands none of the brands pay for anything with me i do it because it's a it's a passion project i want to help people on the mountain i want to help people have the best time and there is only a certain number in that are going to watch these the beauty with the world being so open as it is now is that i can produce a video and somebody in japan or china or america or canada or new zealand or australia can watch that video and it can help them whereas you know previously before, I'm going to sound so old now, before the dawn of the internet, that would never happen. But certainly in, in, in recent years, you know, we can help people globally to just have a better time out in the mountain. And that's no bad thing. Well, hopefully, listener, you found our conversation uh, interesting and maybe it's going to help you to produce whatever video uh, you plan to do next, whether it's for your family or whether you want to kind of share some information or whether you're looking to try and go viral. There's a lot of information and we could keep talking about this subject. You know, we haven't even gone into the, you know, the technical side of things or, or drone use, but we're going to leave it. We'll leave it there for now. So that's brilliant, uh, Al and Chris. Thank you for that. I'm actually going to come on to uh, Anna now. And um, have a little chat. I mentioned at the uh, at the top of the show that you are the uh, founder of Flight Free UK. Now, do you want to just give us a bit of background behind it and uh, maybe when and why you set it up? Yeah, thanks, Ian. So the remit of Flight Free UK is to encourage people to travel without flying. So I was really pleased to hear your little uh, clip that you, you said about your clip um, on YouTube, having so many views about how to travel between Garda Nord and Garda Lyon, because anyone who's traveling around Europe without flying is typically going to have to do that, especially if you're going down to the Alps by train. So that's the idea. We encourage people to travel without flying by giving them the information about 
the carbon cost of flying because that's really important. Most travellers don't know. Most travellers do not know how much kerosene is burned when you get on an aeroplane and how much CO2 is produced as a result. Uh, The other side of what we do is give inspiration for travelling by other means. So it's not saying, oh, we all have to stop travelling or make all these sacrifices. It's saying, hey, you can still have your ski trip. You just go by train. And actually going by train, if you work out the logistics, it's brilliant. It's fun. It's relaxing. It doesn't take any longer in the grand scheme of things. Um, And it's a much, much more sustainable way to travel. Sure. Well, regular listeners to the show will be very aware that I like to travel by train. They'll also hopefully be aware of the carbon cost of flying because I've referred, uh, you know, many times to the data which shows it's around 50 to 80 percent of your carbon footprint of a ski trip if you fly. And that can be significantly reduced if you do uh, travel by train. But the reason I wanted to have you on today, Anna, you mentioned before that you've only ever been skiing once, but I wanted to have you on because that trip was billed as, according to an article I read by you in the Evening Standard, the the most sustainable ski holiday ever or the lowest carbon footprint for a skiing holiday ever. So we called it the world's most sustainable ski trip. I think there's a question mark at the end. (laughs) That's okay. It was organised by Ed Hopkins of Dark Green PR. So he is a lifelong skier and a massive sustainability enthusiast and has been quite frustrated by uh, ski resorts and skiers not going down the sustainability route, even though we know we have to, especially when it comes to winter sports. The effects of the warming climate mean that the snow is melting. And we saw that no... We saw that so clearly this season. Um, And so, you know, it makes sense that if you love snow, you do your bit to protect it. So it was kind of an example of how to do this low carbon ski trip, how to reduce our impact in every single way. And so for you then, how did that uh, work? I mean, I think I already know that you travelled by train. You you referred to that there. So immediately you're taking out a lot of the footprint straight away. Yeah. And that is the main one. At least half of your carbon output for the for a ski trip will be the travel. So you travel by train, you're instantly slashing your footprint pretty much in half, which is very, very effective, very powerful and very easy. So we took the Eurostar, um, an early morning Eurostar 7am, changed in Paris for a train to Lausanne in Switzerland, and then a Swiss rail train to Sion. And then we took Tesla taxi up to the resort. Um, but there are lots of ski and, resorts. And sorry, which... do you just want to remind us which resort you're in? Yes, it was Anzer, Anzer in the French Valley in Switzerland. There are lots of ski resorts that do that. The train travel there is even easier. So, um, you know, um, arriving by rail all the way to the resort uh, happens in, I think, quite a few of the French Alpine resorts. Um, you you know better than I do, Ian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there are places where you can do that. You can take a train all the way into Chamonix, for example, or, you know, from where yeah. you were. I think, did you say you went to uh, Sion and then you took a, a lift up? If you went slightly yeah, further along the valley to Sierre, you could then get the funicular uh, up to uh, Cromontana. You can get train to Andermatt, Zermatt, uh, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, the final section was by electric vehicles. So we're saying a very low uh, footprint for the travel. But yeah. in relation to Onzer itself, there's a reason Ed shows that resort uh, because in, in terms of the minimising the uh, the footprint for the holiday overall. 
Yeah, exactly. So there are loads of other areas. And in fact, you sent me this um, cool little graphic. I don't know if you want to share it with the listeners as well. That one off your website. Yeah, I'll put it. I'll put it into the show notes. And so this says um, out of your journey, 52 percent of your footprints from transport. Um, Four percent is from the hotel. Eight percent is from what you eat. Um, 17 percent is for the infrastructure and the like all of the the actual resort um, tourist activities. Uh, 16% is your equipment, including your clothes. So um, we looked at three areas in addition to the transport, and that was energy, clothing, and food. So my clothes were hired from a company called Eco Ski, and that's a really great way to do it. You know, I, uh, having not been skiing before and probably not you know I'm not going to now regularly go skiing so it's, it's just a one-off um so uh yeah hiring clothes rather than buying each time is a really great way to keep the footprint down um and yeah sorry you referred to Anzair being specifically chosen because the energy used in the resort is from hydroelectricity and to be honest, that's quite common across the Alpine resorts, isn't it? Because hydro is in such great supply there. So lots of ski resorts will have at least a small section, if not all, of their power coming from hydro. Um, so that's something we as consumers can do, re- research where we're going and choose somewhere that does have hydro. There's quite a few resorts that uh, run all of their lifts from renewables. And that is, you know, as you say, predominantly from hydro. Is all of the electricity uh, in resort coming from renewables as far as Onzair is concerned? Technically, depending on how you look at it. So in Onzair, um, the majority of electricity comes from hydro and the heating is from a wood pellet factory just like down the road. It's like a kilometre away. So a lot of renewable electricity uh, in resort and they're using biomass for the heating. And that is the heating for the entire resort, right? Yeah, I think 90% of chalets use it. And actually, (laughs) so at at times, and I like this, at times of high demand, they just turn the spa down by like one or two degrees. So you kind of hardly notice it, but it just means that everybody is, you know, I I like that ethos. You're sharing things around rather than just keeping, you know, bumping up the demand. Well, for sure. And we, you know, we've referred to this uh, on the podcast before because, uh, you know, this season for like sobriety, for keeping energy uh, use in check, a lot of resorts will typically reduce the speed of their lifts. You know, maybe only from six metres per second to five metres per second. But, But, you know, they do that during periods of low demand. The consumer doesn't notice at all the difference. Yeah, it saves energy yeah. and saves uh, uh, costs. Um, but yeah. actually, on in terms of your experience in Anzair, so it's very low carbon tra- uh, uh, travel. Um, and then the energy, running the list, the heating. You mentioned clothing from Eco Ski. We've met, uh, we've interviewed uh, Rachel Westbrook uh, on the uh, podcast before. Um, listener, you can uh, search her uh, out. Uh, but also, it went as far as food. So the whole of the trip yeah. was not vegan, but vegetarian. Is no, that right? it was vegan. Oh, it was vegan, it was the whole full, thing, right? Yeah, full on vegan trip. I mean, it helps that like four of us on the trip were vegan anyway. <laughs> um, but yes, that is a major, major part. So everything, including the breakfast on the Eurostar, was vegan. And that is just a major thing that we all can do. You know, if you, even if you don't go full 100%, you can give it a try and maybe five days a week just eat plant-based. It is such an effective way to reduce the carbon impact of your diet. And there are so many studies that show that um, even the highest carbon form of 
of plant-based food is much, much, much lower than the lowest carbon form of animal-based food. Inevitably, things are going to change about the way we live because we are approaching climate breakdown. We have to do drastic things to cut our emissions. And for me, it's a positive choice. I love being vegan. And, right, we had vegan raclette on the slopes. It was amazing. <laughs> right, because I, I read that. And I found that really interesting because for a lot of people, they think, oh, you know, I'm going to the Alps. You know, the cheese out there is amazing. Or or maybe, you know, I, I'm vegetarian, but I don't think I could ever be vegan because I love cheese too much. But you were able we to have it. We all said that, Ian. <laughs> we all said that at one time. <laughs> <laughs> so your vegan raclette was as tasty uh, as ever, yeah? Yeah, absolutely delicious. And they really did cater for us well. Um, we had a couple of risottos, which is a bit classic like class vegan fare but it was really tasty um and you know very hearty exactly what you need after you've been skiing all day so yeah it was it worked brilliantly and honestly ian that's what everyone says including me oh i could never be vegan because of what what about the cheese yeah it like you know once you take cheese out of your diet you you tend to just not miss it really Yes, it was a very sustainable uh, trip. And I think one of the points that, you know, you're keen to make is, you know, you don't want people not to ever have holidays, just to think about what they're doing and how they're traveling and the destinations that, uh, that they choose. But I'm interested to know, this is your first ever ski trip. You know, what did you think? Will you be back skiing again? Yeah, so I, as a cyclist, I'm an outdoor person anyway, so it was bound to suit me. You know, the only reason I've never been skiing is just through circumstance, not because I wouldn't do it and I wouldn't enjoy it. So, yeah, definitely loved it. Loved the mountains. They're so beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm not afraid of cold or snow or anything or falling or anything like that. So, yeah, it, the, the activity itself was great. I picked it up pretty quick. Um, we only had two and a half days there. So um, if I managed to do a full week, I would hopefully feel a little bit less like Bambi <laughs> but I did manage a red run that was uh, that's not that's not bad for just your second or, or third day skiing yeah, well that yeah, is true. that is brilliant uh, Anna I'm really interested to hear about the trip I'm going to put a link to your article in the evening standard into the show notes so listeners uh, can have a read of that uh, as well and a, a link to uh, on there uh, as well and hopefully you know when you find out want to find out more about skiing you can listen to uh, uh, our back catalogue uh, on the ski podcast that's that's great Great, thank you. Uh, right, Al, I'd like to come back to you, uh, if I may, because, um, you know, we've touched on the carve uh, device before. You know, regular listeners will know I went to uh, Profeet where I had some new ski boots, which are atomic uh, hybrid uh, boots. So I could use them for ski touring as well. And when I had them fitted at Profeet, I had the carve fitted as well. And the carve is uh, a device that goes into uh, each, uh, well, under uh, each of your feet in your ski boots and gives you a huge amount of data about how you are skiing. And this is something you can move on to, uh, Anna, as you progress uh, through the uh, levels. It is very, very interesting. I had, I actually got my ski boots fitted you know, quite some time ago now, but I hadn't really used them because a lot of the skiing I've, I've been doing was touring or off-piste. And this, they really are more suitable for uh, on-piste, the carve. And when I went away to Roccaroso, which um, I talked about in uh, episode 170, our last episode, I was skiing on-piste with my family. The setup was good. Uh, and I opened up the carve, opened up the app, connected it all up, plugged in my headphones. 
and um, started uh, the free ski mode uh, in there to check what they call the ski IQ. Now, I had a, a target in mind because Al had already told me he got <laughs> he got 142, I think it was. I hope it's not going to he's not going to say it. So I was thinking, I did the first run and it came out like 110 or something like that. I thought, oh, my God, what am I doing wrong here? Now, I, I am thought, so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely thought, um, you know, oh, surely uh, I consider myself to be, you know, a good skier. Yeah. You know, I can pretty much kind of ski anything. And I've done no full zones and, you know, powder and, you know, the right skis to help. But I've never been that fussed about skiing technically uh, well. Um, and I really started to think about it. Once you're starting having that data, and there is so much, I want to say there's so much information you can get from the uh, carve. It's giving it's um, giving you information the whole time about your skiing, and every time you stop, I had the headphones plugged in. Uh, you know, to, after a while, my family got a bit bored because I was kind of stopping, waiting. Okay, what's it going to uh, tell me now? And I began to understand what it was looking for, and it really is like. You know, people say the car is like having a personal instructor uh, with you because it gives you tips as you go along as well. Visualization tips, you know, what you need to think about in terms of different ways people suggest. You know, I've I've sometimes given tips to my kids about imagining you're you're like a waiter and you're holding a tray in front of you and trying to keep that tray balanced, you know, so your arms don't swing around and things like that. The one that would really work for me was talking about keeping my shins parallel to get it really focuses on edge similarity is really yeah. important to the carve. You know, and by that we're talking about each of your your inside and outside ski digging into the snow and getting those uh, edges the degree uh, uh, you know, as similar as you can to help literally your carving. Which makes total sense. The side of a ski is hourglass shaped, if you, but the more you tilt it, the more of a turn it makes. If you tilt one leg at forty-five degrees and one leg at forty degrees, your two skis are doing different turns. Yeah, so it makes sense. And so then I understood what it was looking for, and you know, it's almost like okay, okay, I'm 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 learning here, and yeah. I know what you want. <laughs> like I'm not necessarily like I say yeah. the tech. So top topped out. 152. <laughs> oh man, okay. The game is on. I love this. You know what? You are one of the most data in other sports that we've done together. We've known each other a long time for various things. And when we used to do triathlon racing, you were always very data driven. So I'm not surprised that you enjoy using carve. But how amazing is it that you get this bit of technology that can help you in your skiing? There is a cost. Yes, there is. But especially if you love data, it's going to really help. But even if you don't, having that coaching with you all the time, I think is a massive benefit. And once you've got it fitted, we've spoken at length about, you know, get them fitted when you get your boots, fine, that's covered. But once they're fit, you don't notice them. You know, you don't notice the cable up in the boot. That's not a problem. So, and did you try, there's a mode where basically you get a bleep on each turn, whether you get it right or wrong. Did you did you try that? I think it might no. be a challenge mode of the train. No, I didn't. I did. Do, I didn't do that. I did do um, the train like an Olympian setting because Ted Ligerty. Yeah, is, I think he's invested in the business, so you can yeah. actually have him. Uh, you know, an Olympic uh, gold medal winner giving you tips. You know, yeah. in your uh, in your ear you as you're skiing mode? along. I didn't find that one as good because basically it gave me different tasks to achieve. And I kind of I kind of felt like I wasn't 
I didn't feel like I was making progress. And it is, like you say, I'm maybe I'm like data driven. I love that gamification side of things. You know, yeah. I like wanted to get my ski IQ, you know, as high as possible. But I also noticed like within the app, oh, you can see, right, I can check my score against everyone else. Everyone else who in the world who's used Carve today. Oh, right. Okay. On that list, I'm only like 80th or something. But if I made it Italy, oh, I jumped up to third, <laughs> you know, yeah. for that day. And I love that gamification, you know, side of things. I found that really uh, interesting. And I'm definitely going to use it again on on piste-oriented yeah. trips, you know, because uh, I I don't know how much relevance it has. There's a, there's, if you're kind of skiing off piste, there's a degree of – I know technique is obviously important. There's a degree of imperfection there. There's a but lot But there's also more... not the pressure coming through, especially if you're skiing powder – there's not the pressure coming through the unit in the base of your boot that you would get on firm snow. So, so yeah, absolutely, it is more for firm snow. I want to congratulate you, first of all. So if you look at Carve's website, so on average, their users, their subscribers, improve by 18 points in a season. And you've gone from, what, around 110 to almost 160? So you've, you've nailed that. Well done. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was the first run of the day. Don't knock it. Just uh, claim uh, it. <laughs> All right, I claim it. I mean, uh, uh, but it did feel like, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really understand what it was looking for. And what I, yeah. to start off with, I worked out that it was easier for me to get a bigger score going on steeper slopes because it forced me to really carve more because I kind of had to, to get down those uh, slopes. Okay. Uh, and by the end of the trip, I was able to get higher scores on less steep slopes uh, as well. And, you know, it's because technically you know i was skiing better whatever that you know definition i mean that, uh, that's means. a really interesting one on the steeper slopes because lots of people will skid their turns on the steeper slope because they are nervous but also what i found i've got loads of questions for you but but, but just on this point what i found was on steeper slopes often you're doing shorter turns to get a oh. higher score on shorter turns whereas if you're yes. doing much bigger arcs your movement has to be far more is nuanced the right way, but subtle. Whereas you're putting lots of energy through the front of the boot, through your foot in short turns, it's quite easy to get a high IQ score doing that, I found. And then on that bigger, more sweeping stuff where the pressure buildup is far more gradual, that's when the carve comes into its own in terms of how it is helping you to improve. Yeah, it was the same situation. On the, Once I uh, uh, realised, well, rather than the big GS turns, going for those shorter slalom turns, uh, I tended to get a higher uh, score as well. But, you know, I definitely I definitely really enjoyed uh, using it. Yeah. And I really enjoyed, you know, I mentioned before that you helped me choose uh, uh, the boots. And the main reason I picked the Atomic boots that I did pick was for the crossover with ski touring uh, as well, but they work really well on the, yeah. uh, on the piece. So, I mean, yeah. fit is king. They, they've got a fit, but the beauty is you've got the whole thing thing fitted there. I mean, how, so your, did you have earbuds in what, what were you using? Are you using overhead earphones? What were you using? Yeah, I actually just use plug-in earphones. I okay. had one, one ear in, you know, while I was skiing. Uh, okay. So you had one. So you felt you were not too immersed in it that you didn't know what was going on around you basically how did it impact safety did you feel yeah no 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 it didn't it didn't impact on safety uh at all it was quite amusing for the kids because uh you know they kept checking to see how i was doing because <laughs> yeah. they knew like i was i was trying to get a higher score so they're like, asking me 
um, yeah. you know, for each uh, section. But when we go back up on the lifts, then you'd get this random uh, uh, bit of uh, advice, you know, at different points uh, along the way. When it's, oh, you want to think about, you know, imagine you've got, uh, you know, water in your boots and you're trying not to spill them or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it was really interesting. I'll definitely uh, use it again. And, you know, yes, it made me technically better. Right. We're, we're just going to move towards the uh, close now. From a Team GB point of view, just want to update on the Freestyle World Championships. They ended up being the most successful ever for Team GB. Uh, Mia Brooks took gold in the snowboard slope style. You know, I interviewed her in episode 158, which you can listen to. Uh, Chris, I wondered what you thought about her run. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing, right? Mia, 16. Uh, well, you know, the, the, the British team has gone from strength to strength since, since jenny won in in got the gold um, bronze medal well she was a she was an x games gold medalist prior to that but she got the bronze in 2012 that was now wasn't it yeah to, to, uh, 11 years ago and there's just more and more talent coming through me it's just one in a long long line but she's pretty special 16 and that was an amazing trick and she's up against like her her peers are very very good also very young but she's flying then in addition to that, we had a second gold in the uh, the team at Snowball Cross, uh, Charlotte Brooks and Hugh Nightingale. And there was a silver for Zoe Atkin in the ski halfpipe. So, you know, very successful world championships and particularly after uh, the Olympics, which are really a bit disappointing for Team GB. That is great news. A couple of other small bits of news. Lock Inch. Uh, dry slope up in scotland are uh, running a crowdfunder i'm going to put a link to it in the show notes but they could really do with some help to be able to keep going there so have a look at that if you can and and also i'd like to point listeners in the direction of an article i've just written uh, about the ski company bladen lines if you remember the ski company bladen lines i've uh, just had an article published in ski and board magazine which is a ski club of great britain magazine uh, it really is a, a trip down a memory lane with some uh, great photos. And I'll put a link to the show notes in that. Now, I do enjoy all feedback about the show. Uh, I'd like to know what you think, ideas for features. Uh, so please contact me on social at the Ski Podcast or by email, theskipodcast at gmail.com. Uh, a couple of bits of feedback. Uh, Richard Sideways uh, uh, was talking about episode 169, which was the interview with Ed Lee. He said, really good interview. His passion for the mountains and the sport really comes across. Uh, Russ, uh, also on the same episode, said great stuff. Uh, Ryunis uh, said it was an excellent pod, possibly my favourite yet. Uh, 170, our last episode. Dale Hardman said great episode. Tom Thorpe said uh, thanks for all your work. Uh, great, interesting episodes and insights. We have over 170 episodes of the Ski Podcast to catch up with. 118 were listened to in the last week, so there's plenty out there. Don't forget to subscribe uh, so you don't miss a single episode. And if you do enjoy the pod, you can always buy me a coffee if you wish. Uh, Heather Burns, I'd like to thank. She brought me a coffee since the last episode, and she also said, you know, I so love your podcasts. I listen to them with my kids and now request to go ski touring and open water swimming. I love your championing of more sustainable travel. So hopefully, Heather, you'll have enjoyed our chat with Anna. Whilst we drive to our ski holidays, we're now taking the train and not the plane for a trip to Berlin in the summer, uh, checking out the new Eurosleeper. I would love to do that. No, there's no skiing out there, but what a great uh, trip that would be. Now, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I would like to thank uh, Le Trois Vallées for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Anna. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. Chris. Thanks a lot, Ian. Appreciate that. And Al, thanks. Ian, thank you so much. 
Uh, finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.